Jerusalem. It's one of those funny little trips because not everybody gets what's going on. You see the disciples and even the crowd that's following them from the northern part of Israel on down to the city. It's time for the annual trip. It's a pilgrimage. It's Passover. They do it all the time. Jesus is walking there for the last time to the cross. And so it's a different journey than his disciples might expect. And along the way, they keep coming up to these times that really clarify what their commitment is to Jesus. Unexpected situations that really force them to re-examine the question, is Jesus my one pure and holy passion? And now, the truth is, is along our journey of discipleship, as we follow the Lord in our lives, we regularly come up to those same kinds of moments where we have to ask once again, well, is Jesus my one pure and holy passion? Such is the joy and the challenge of following Jesus. So, since we're along for the ride, let's jump back in to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. And here's a little tidbit for y'all who like to study the Scripture. Uh, in, this pass, in this section of biblical stories, Mark chapter 10 and forward, each segment begins with a brand new set of travel language. They were heading out for a journey. They were on their way to Jerusalem. Next week, they're on their way to Jericho. Neat little markers for you along the journey. But that was for free. I'm not even going to charge for that little tidbit. That was just free. Mark chapter 10, our reading will come from today, verses 32 through 45. Hear the word of the Lord. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they replied, We are able. And then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man 
came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And may everything spoken, said, done, and heard be captivated by your Holy Spirit that we might receive words for life, for our holiness, and for your mission in the world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, it looks like we got an easy one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You ever get to work and you say, oh, gosh, I could get this job done real quick. I don't even try too hard. Well, this passage of Scripture, goodness, is so easy. I mean, come on, look. What's the big idea? You want to be great? Serve people. All right, guys, you ready? See you at lunch. No, I mean, <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's right there. I didn't even have to open a book to figure it out or nothing. There we go. If you want to become great in God's eyes, you must be a servant to all. It's pretty neat. Good teaching. It comes from Jesus. But you know, the interesting thing is that it's pretty encouraging, too. It's not just there right for us. It's encouraging. It's like I told the children earlier. You know, we live, we live our lives so much and, and focused on getting to the top. Many of us are trying to get a raise, get the job, get... Uh, get somebody to pay attention to us, get recognized, and all this stuff that happens in our lives, and sometimes it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But you know what? We don't have to be discouraged by that because, thank goodness, that's not the only way to be great in the world. Jesus gives us another way. We can be great by, get this, by serving people. How about that? We can be great by serving people. The road's not a dead end. You can get on Jesus' road and you can serve the people around you. And that's super encouraging. Maybe that's out there for somebody today. Yeah, it's, it's simple. The, the lesson is right there. And it can be encouraging, but it's a little crazy if you think about it. It's backwards. Jesus can get pretty backwards sometimes. Have you noticed that? He says, uh, you want to be great? It's not about having power or authority. It's about going low. It's about doing the things that people don't always want to do. It's about doing the things that aren't always looked well upon in our world. It's about serving people. And if you want to take Jesus' example all the way to the end, it's about serving all people. It's about even sacrificing of yourself to make it happen. It's pretty challenging. It's backwards. Jesus is so interesting. But you know, I, I thought it would be super easy, but... Um, it's a little more difficult than that because as challenging as that is, this whole reversal of greatness, there's actually, um, I think, a deeper challenge for us as we seek to follow Jesus in our lives. Something happens that's a little deeper, and you get there because this lesson on greatness comes really at the tail end of a longer story. Really, it comes after a very important conversation that Jesus has with two of his senior followers. So maybe I won't let you out just so quickly. Well, hey now. <laughs> Somebody giggling back here. I wanted to go. I'm kidding. I know you marry him. <laughs> so let's back up just a little bit because I don't want to miss this. This is how it goes. So you've got this group of people now following Jesus, and it looks like a lot of people. It's like that scene in Rocky. You remember in Rocky when he's running, and all of a sudden, like, the, the, there's more people, and more people are following him? 
Does anybody know Rocky? It's from the 80s. Okay, thank you guys. It's like that. More and more people are picking up following Jesus, but man, they're getting a little weirded out. Some of them are amazed. Some of them are afraid. I think it's because Jesus keeps doing the craziest stuff, doing things like healing people, which is pretty amazing. Why are they afraid? I don't know. He keeps saying things like um, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. I'd be a little afraid too. talked about that last week. But Jesus, uh, from this crowd, he pulls his inner circle aside for a third time, and he tells them some pretty weird stuff. He says, hey, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. They're like, yeah, I know. He said, when we get there, I'm going to be betrayed, abused, beaten, and die. And then I'm going to rise again. Huh. Okay. I didn't book a room for that. I, I don't know what's happening there. You know, that's kind of strange. If you, if you didn't know, like we, we have a little bit of a benefit. We know that that stuff happened. If you didn't know that stuff was going to happen, I'd imagine you'd be pretty confused and maybe a little afraid yourself. I imagine the apostles were a little bit like that. I wonder what went through their mind. I'm going to die and rise again. Interesting. Well, two of the apostles, they respond. Let's just, let's just say they respond pretty awkwardly. They've got a little bit of a, an awkward way about them. It's James and John. And they've got some seniority. You know, they were among the first to follow Jesus. And so they come up to, they come here, Jesus. They have something to say. And this is what they say. They say, teacher, we want you to do whatever we want you to do. Huh. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever somebody comes up to me with a statement like that, I always get a little suspicious. I want you to do for me whatever you want. I said, hold on. Let's, let's define our terms here. And it turns out what they want is to sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus in his glory. Now, we're just talking seating arrangements right here. It's not really a big deal, but if you've ever planned a big party or an event, you know that seating arrangements are important. Really what it boils down to. James and John were positions of power and authority when Jesus takes over. That is how they respond to the news that Jesus is going to die. I'm going to die. Oh, great. Can you give me a few things for myself along the way? Let me see your will for a second. I'm going to miss you and all. That's how they respond. They want something for themselves. I mean, come on, guys. Read the room a little bit here, you know? I think they're a little bit lacking in the emotional intelligence department. Let's be honest. This moment... It's not their finest moment. It's not these guys' finest moment. Honestly, it's a little bit of an embarrassing moment, if you ask me. It's an embarrassing situation for them to, to, to respond the way that they have. And that makes me wonder something, okay? Imagine with me. Imagine I am Mark. And I'm going to sit down to write this gospel for the early church in the first century. Imagine, if I'm Mark, I've got a pretty solid opportunity right now since these, these apostles are leading the church. I've got a great opportunity to, to play press secretary and put some good spin on their public relations. I could do that. I mean, the pen is in my hand. I could really just skip over the embarrassing stuff and get straight to when these apostles were doing it right. I get straight to when they were doing it good. But Mark doesn't do that at all. Instead, here, right in the middle of everything, 
he includes this pretty awkward and embarrassing moment. And so, the Scriptures must have a good reason to let you and I see these senior apostles when they're not at their finest. There's got to be something there for us. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do what we really want to do when someone is publicly embarrassed. We're going to gawk at it a little bit. Let's take a deeper look at what's going on with James and John. Don't you just love the juicy tidbits? Don't you just love that? You hear that so-and-so did something in Hollywood. You don't even know who they are. You don't even care, but you keep clicking on it. Is Meghan Markle pregnant? I don't know. Come on. Let's, let's dig in. What's going on with James and John? What's up with these guys? Are they just power-hungry villains looking to do anything they can to rise to the top? I don't know about that. I mean, it'd be really easy to represent them as fiends. You know what we love to do with the Bible characters? They're, they're people. They're not characters. But we love to kind of caricature them a little bit and make them into a little bit more two-dimensional than they are. But it'd be easy for us to do that here. These guys are bad. Don't be bad. Be good. That would be a good sermon. Maybe. But the Bible doesn't say anything about their motives at all. The Bible doesn't give us this. There's no indication of ill will or evil or anything. I mean, sure, their their question is admittedly in pretty bad taste. Pretty bad timing. But we have no indication in the Bible about their motive in this moment. We just don't have that. And if we look at the way that Jesus reacts to them, actually, he's kind of nice. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't uh, call them out. He doesn't call them to the carpet for being bad disciples. He's pretty kind to them. And to be honest, this request, uh, I want to be great, Jesus, when you get this all figured out. Honestly, it comes out innocent enough if you just look at the, the Bible. I mean, think about this. Don't we sometimes, in all good faith, ask God for things that are in our best interest and maybe not in other people's? And don't we? It's an innocent enough question. So what is going on? What's going on with these guys? Maybe, maybe another option. Maybe they love Jesus so much that they, they want to be sure they'll always be close to him. I want to be at your right hand and your left hand forever. Maybe they are so passionate about what Jesus is doing that they want to make sure they're always in on the action. The Bible doesn't quite go that far, but it is open as a potential possibility for their motive. So what's going on? You know what I think? I think it's all of the above. I think it is all of the above. I think James and John love Jesus a bunch. And I think James and John are still holding on to their old ways of thinking. I think they're both true. I think it's both true. I think that they love Jesus and they're still finding themselves influenced by their culture and not their Lord. Both things are true at the same time. They have a loving passion for Jesus here, and they have an immature or unmatured way of desiring and thinking about their world on this hand. So, love for Jesus here, unmatured behavior here. I think they're holding these things together in their walk with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't condemn them for this. He doesn't, he doesn't say, come on, guys, stop it. Get it together. Be good. People are watching. This is going to be in the Bible one day. Stop acting foolish. Just stop it. He doesn't call them out. 
This is what Jesus does. This is super interesting and, and very important. They make this request, and Jesus digs into it a little bit and a little bit more. Jesus, do for me everything I want. What do you want? Well, Jesus, I want this. You don't really know what you're asking. And little by little, Jesus digs deeper to shine a light on that place in their lives where their behavior and their desires are not quite matching up with their love for Jesus. Jesus, little by little, shines that light and leads them into transformation. This is what it's like along the way of following Jesus. Listen to me. Following Jesus, we hold these two things together. Following Jesus is about uniting our love for God and our maturing behavior in bringing them together. The journey of discipleship is a journey where we take our love from God of God and our maturing behavior and Christ unites them together. This is the journey that James and John are on. It's the journey that we are on, the uniting of our love and our maturing behavior. Let me give you an example. If you don't know, you do now. I have a two-year-old daughter named Nora. You probably know. Can you hear her? I think I can hear her. She's back in the nursery. I apologize if anything happened back there for you kids. Kids No, Nora's sweet. She's very sweet. And Nora loves to color. She just loves to color. uh, My my guys like, uh, my two boys, they they like doing art too. Nora has a piece of art on my fridge right now. And it is a full page of marker scribbles. Scribbles. And she is happy about it. I'm happy about it. I think that she's like the two-year-old Monet. Come on. She certainly got impressionism down. I'll tell you that much. And she's proud. And she's, every couple days, Daddy, look at my picture. Daddy, look at my picture. And I look at it and I think, gosh, I love that she loves this so much. I love that she loves this so much. And I am proud to have that piece of art on my fridge. And you know what? She, I'm glad she enjoys that. But she can't always scribble, can she? She can now because she's two. There's going to come a point where she's going to need to, I don't know, learn to write. <laughs> Maybe color inside the lines. Not too much. Coloring outside the lines can be created, you know. She's going to have to learn at least to draw basic shapes. Somewhere along the line, she can, she's got a love for coloring, but right now she has an immature way of coloring. Are you following with me? Nora May loves to color, and the way she's doing it now is just fine, but it's an immature way of coloring, and it can't always be that way. And this is the same thing that's true with James and John, even after this many years of following Jesus. Listen to me. They have a love for Jesus, they've still got some immature ways of living that out. They love Jesus, but there are moments like this one where they realize that they still have some immature desires and they're holding them together. And that's the same thing with with us. No matter how long we've been on the journey with Jesus, we love Jesus, but be honest with yourself now. There are parts of our lives that still look a little bit more like the culture around us than they do like Jesus. With God's grace, maybe there aren't as many of them as there used to be, but they're still there, and that's fine for a while. It's fine for a while. 
But there will come a point when Jesus expects a little bit more from us. If we don't let our love for Jesus lead us to a more mature way of living, we could actually end up doing some damage. If we don't follow Jesus to unite our love with our growing maturity in behavior, we could actually end up doing some damage. Not just to ourselves, but to other people. Let me give you another little example. Uh, You see, my boys, when they were Nora's age, they loved to color as much as she does. They loved it. They loved it. Uh, They loved it so much. Uh, And I can remember one day when we lived in the parsonage in Savannah. uh, And this is, you can't forget, there's nothing like parsonage living. If y'all haven't done it, my goodness. It's fun. It's fun. But there's a moment when something breaks and you're like, this ain't my house. (laughs) It got a little too quiet. And if you've ever spent any time with children, you know it's not good when things get quiet. Man and I run upstairs. We go into the boys' room. And it turns out here's, they were really enjoying their love for coloring with the big, fat Sharpie markers uh-huh. all over their furniture, all over, all over the walls. And heaven help me if I ever figured out why there was beige carpet, but it was all over the beige carpet. Oh, those boys love to color. They loved it. They loved it. But their immature way of living that out caused damage to a house we didn't own. Y'all get this? If our behavior doesn't mature to match our love for Jesus, we actually, that could end up doing damage to our own heart and to the people around us. It really can what Jesus calls us to. I mean, think of this for an example. We still hold the examples all around us, these, these worldly ways, and if we don't recognize that that's a part of our life, if we don't recognize that, hey, I've got this place where I'm still growing, here's what might happen. We might mistake our opinions for God's opinions. I'm a Christian. I'm sanctified. Therefore, everything I think is the same thing that God thinks. And you know what might happen? We don't recognize that that's not true in our life. We might act that way and end up going on the attack for other, to other people just because they don't share opinions that we share. Because we think that we love Jesus, but we haven't let our maturity match up to our love for him. We might forget that the things that we're blessed with, they come from God. What we might do at that point, if we forget that, if we don't let our behavior match and our desires match our love for God, we might assume that we're better than people who don't have the same blessings that we have. We might actually start treating them like unblessed people or even worse. We have a love for God, but our desires and our behavior hasn't matched. We can assume that since God loves us, that God loves everything we love and everything we want and everything we do and mistake those things for things that God blesses. And we can end up actually doing some pretty rough stuff out in the world and feel really holy and mighty about it. We can profess our love for Jesus and live in a way that doesn't look like Jesus in the world around us. And Jesus calls that. He has a name for that. It's called hypocrisy. 
it hurts people. It hurts ourselves. It hurts the damage of the church. It hurts the damage of Jesus. If we don't let our behavior mature to match our love for Jesus. I mean, I could go on and on. We could be like James or John and assume that our love for Jesus comes with some level of status. That it's the same level of status that the world around us gives and we could start using Jesus to leverage our own gain. There are a lot of things that we could do. We could baptize all kinds of behavior in Jesus' name, all kinds of bad behavior and call it good. It doesn't mean that it is. And the point is, is that as we follow Jesus, he will challenge our desires and challenge our behavior to make them more mature. Because following Jesus is this journey of uniting our love for him and our maturing behavior. And I think that's why Mark was willing to embarrass the disciples. I think that's why Mark was willing to put those guys under the spotlight and say, hey, see what you did years ago? It's coming back to get you. Because we need to see. We need to see it. We need to see it. We need to see these longtime followers of Jesus fall a little on their face so that we can see what growth needs to happen in our lives. It teaches us. Sometimes it's good to learn from other people's experience and not have to go through it our own. And it teaches us. And we can learn what's in store for us that this might come along these opportunities to grow. And we need to see this. I'm not going to keep you long, but we need to see this here. We need to know uh, and see it in these disciples that no matter how passionately we love Jesus and how long we have followed Jesus, that we all still have another step to take that we all still have another step to take. I think that's why Mark is not afraid to embarrass these guys a little bit in public. What about you? Where is it that you have your love for Jesus here? I'm assuming you love Jesus. We can talk privately. Where your love for Jesus here, maybe there's something you're holding on to that is an example from the world around us that hasn't quite matured to match your love for Jesus. could be that we're like James and John and we still, we just feel so distraught and do everything we can when we're not at the top. It could be something like that still. Jesus shows us that it's not to be that way. could be like last week, we just, we know that our life is based on the pursuit of money and things and just had, that hasn't matured to match our love for Jesus. We might still find ourselves struggling to mistake lust for love and our behavior hasn't matched our love for Jesus. There could be a lot of things going on with us, but I think it's important to recognize it. And no matter where we are, we've still got that room in the journey of discipleship. Jesus puts us in these places where he says, aha, there it is. Now let's work for maturity. Let's work for maturity. Where in your life are you still holding on to old ways or unmatured behavior? Do your actions match your love for Jesus? Or do you still have some growing to do? I'll tell you right now, I've got plenty of growing to do. Here's the deal. It's difficult to realize when we've still got some room to grow. Does anybody like pointing out when they're not quite as good at something as they thought they were? I don't like it. It can be embarrassing. Ask James and John, but don't be embarrassed by that. Don't be afraid of the moment when this happens because it's a part of our journey. And every time Jesus leads our love and our life into deeper unity, 
we come out blessed on the other side. It ultimately turns out to be a good thing. Just ask James and John if you can. One day maybe you can. Just look at them. They got it. They learned this lesson and began to unite their behavior and their love. John, for example, after this along the way, he was the only disciple courageous enough to stand near the cross of Jesus Christ. Everybody else ran. He knew what it meant to be great, didn't he? To stand beside in danger his friend. John, in fact, is credited as writing three, four, or five books of the Bible. His witness carried on. He learned what it meant to be great, didn't he? His brother James, his brother James even learned a lot from this lesson. He learned uh, all the way through what it means to be great because James, in the book of Acts, ended up giving up his life to defend his faith. Greatness comes in service. And, And not that it's fun to give up your life for your faith, but his example encouraged and spurred Christians on for over a millennium. And if they didn't, if they didn't, If Jesus didn't love them enough to challenge them, to unite their behavior and their action, we wouldn't be talking about them today. Their witness wouldn't be encouraging to us today. But Jesus loved them enough to challenge them. Unite your love for me with a maturing lifestyle. Unite your love for me with a maturing lifestyle. And because of that, we see their witness today. Now I wonder how James and John would look at this story today. I wonder if, if we get up to heaven and we're like, hey, James, John, look what I found on the Internet about you. And we showed them the story. I don't think they would be embarrassed. I don't think they would. I think they'd be happy. And they'd say, hey, guess what, y'all? That moment right there was one of the moments where I truly grew as a disciple. That moment right there is one of the key moments where I learned to unite my behavior to my love for Jesus, and it made all the difference. I want you to think about that in your own heart. Where is it that Jesus wants you to grow, to unite your lifestyle with your love for him? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your scriptures. And I pray for all of us here today, Lord, that we would be open to receiving your teaching and your love, which even challenges us. Bring to our mind where we might grow and give us the humility to let your spirit transform our hearts. And if there are any walls of resistance towards that today, Lord, I ask that you would gently work with each one to take it down bit by bit. That you could work with us gently to become more mature believers whose life matches our love and our profession. Help us to grow and help us to be strong in Jesus' name. As we close.